Welcome to the Unstoppable Grit Podcast, where we dive into the mindset shifts and practical tools to help you break through the roadblocks standing between you and achieving your goals. I'm your host, Danielle Kobo, a former Fortune 500 senior sales manager who spent 15 years in the medical device industry and now the best-selling author of the book, Unstoppable Grit. Think of this podcast as your go-to source for career advice and burnout prevention strategies to help you build a career and life you love. Now let's get started. Hey, beautiful. Welcome to Dream Job with Danielle Kobo podcast. I am Danielle Kobo, elite career coach, and I believe every woman has the power to step into their dream job, earn the salary they are worth, and live the life they desire. Each week you join me, you're going to hear from inspiring women who have overcome adversity and leveled up their career. You're going to learn how to eliminate that inner critic that is holding you back from pursuing your dream, how to build confidence, create healthy boundaries to transition burnout to re-energize, and gain clarity on how to accelerate your career. It's never too late to pursue your dream job. The time is now. Are you ready? Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dream Job with Danielle Kobo. I am Danielle Kobo and we have another amazing guest and I can share with you, I have been looking forward to this interview. Ever since I had the opportunity to meet this individual, this incredible woman, I've been looking forward to this interview. So today we have Gabriella Traverse. She is the co-founder of Equal Pay Group. She is the two Miss. 2018 Miss Massachusetts. She's absolutely stunning. And more importantly, she has such a sweet heart. She's a former recruiter. She's a life coach and she's the host of Dear HR Podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Danielle. I'm so excited to be here and to share. I, I love talking to you when, ever since we first met. So I'm so excited to talk to you and to your audience. Just so thankful. You have such an incredible story. And um, I just remember walking away from our initial conversation with goosebumps. And that whole evening when I was having dinner with my husband, I was like, this woman's powerful. And so tell, tell us, Walk us through your journey from being to Miss 2018, Miss Massachusetts, to where you're at today. You have such a powerful story. I want to hear it. Yeah. So uh, I, where do I really begin? So when I was growing up, I grew up, you know, I think at a, I, when I was growing up, I thought it was just me. And as I grew up, I learned that it wasn't. So being a child in a single parent household, growing up in a city that at the time was, well, I guess even now is still looked at as not a great city in Lawrence, Massachusetts, even though I think this is the greatest city out mm -hmm. there. Um, a little bias. And I just grew up really understanding that it takes a community, it takes a village to be able to make one person be who they are. So I'm super thankful for my community of people who poured into me. And I realized that I had to at some point join in that 
right? It's great to receive, but it's even better to give. And mm-hmm. so I really just committed myself to community service and things like that, which exposed me to how much hurt and pain it is that there is in the world. And even now within my work with Equal Pay Group, I see that really our focus as an organization is to heal people and heal companies. Like that's like my brand is I heal people and I heal companies. I heal people as a life coach. I heal companies through Equal Pay Group. And that led me to traveling. I was able to go to Swaziland, for example, and able to do work with an orphanage down there and really just be able to understand that there's so many things on the policy side of government that needs to be amended. And so Equal Pay Group, I hope, is going to be the solution for us within this country to be able to provide equal pay to men, women, and especially women of color as well, who are even more disproportionately impacted by the wage gap. Um, So that's, and there's even more though. I'm like an MBA student and I have all these other things that are going on. So I'm like, I don't know where else you want me to go because I could give, I could write a book at this point. (laughs) You absolutely could. And when we were going through, I'm like, okay, let's talk about, you know, introducing you and all the things that you're doing. I mean, you're right. You're going to Northeastern University. You're getting your MBA. The list goes on and on of how much of an impact and you're a leader, you're a student, and you're just continuing to, like you said, pour into your community and, and share and support. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, especially being Miss Massachusetts, when I was Miss Massachusetts, I just, I saw so much and I, my platform was fear, face everything and rise, which was educating individuals, particularly adolescents about how is it that they can be able to overcome adversities, how they can turn the things that hurt them into things that empower them. And as I listened to more and more stories, it really did validate for me. And this was, mind you, this was pre pandemic. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it confirmed for me, you know, there's so much that we have to do as a society to really be able to provide everyone with the opportunity to meet their maximum potential. And now post Miss Massachusetts, it's a matter of trying to figure out what are the creative ways as a leader, as a business owner, as a a woman that I can be able to pour into other people and pour into being able to make actual change possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so true. I mean, so share with us, tell us a little bit about what does Equal Pay Group do? So Equal Pay Group is, I I love to, it's, it's like a hybrid kind of thing. So we are basically a compensation consulting firm with a DEI focus. And what that essentially means is the compensation industry is notoriously white. And that I have no issues with that because all of my peers are playing their own part. But I do think that it's important for us when we have these conversations, especially about compensation and looking at how big the wage gap is, that we include mm-hmm. people of color within that dialogue. And so I think Equal Pay Group in itself, because I'm working so diligently to make sure I'm building a team of diverse talent, uh, to be able to make sure that we can be considerate of not just cisgender individuals, but also non-binary, you know, being able to be considerate of not just women, but women of color. I mean, we hear the statistics all the time that white women or that women make 82 cents on a white man's dollar. But for Latino women, that statistic is actually 53 cents to white man's dollar. So we're looking at doing half the work. Oh, sorry, doing half, doing the same work for half the pay. And Mm. that in 2021 is just absolutely unacceptable. There's truly no reason 
for it. So Equal Pay Group will execute compensation analysis, we'll do compensation benchmarking, we can do a pay equity analysis, and we can also do policy reviews for organizations as well to be able to help them address where is the wage gap, how is it forming, why is it forming, and what do we do about it? And so we're the ones who really look at it, not just to say, for example, most compensation firms, they'll be able to tell you, yes, this is a wage gap, these are the people who've been impacted, and these are salary recommendations, but our goal as an organization is to take it a step further and to say, okay, we understand what the wage gap is, do we see that ethnicity is playing a role into this? Yes or no? And we use technology to be able to get all of this information to make sure we have the most accurate information. Then we'll say, okay, we're noticing here that there's a specific group of people within a specific demographic who seem to be very con concentrated to this one region of your business and aren't advancing into this other side. Why is that happening? And really mm -hmm. being able to challenge some of the structures that currently exist because you hear all the time, well, this is just how we've always done things. Well, the way that we've always done things isn't always the best way to do things, especially in a world that's evolving as rapidly as ours. When we see mm -hmm. the pandemic, pushed us 10 years ahead technologically and like technologically speaking it pushed us 10 years ahead of where we were supposed to be before we would never be able to do this this podcast from yeah. Massachusetts to Florida you know if, if we did a traditional route of sitting in the same space but now we can mm -hmm. so now that we can do all of these things that were never being able to be done before now we can actually challenge and have these conversations about how do we be, how do we find innovative solutions to address the wage gap as opposed to just allowing it to exist. I love how you go beyond not only creating the solution, also trying to identify the why. Why mm -hmm. is this happening? Because I mean, to be doing the same work and be making half the pay, that's devastating to hear. It is. That, that should not be happening. Yeah. And so I love how you guys just take it a step further and you really try to identify why this is. You're opening up the conversations that need to be had. They, these conversations need to happen. And the only way that these conversations are going to happen is A, if we talk about it and spread awareness like we are right now. And then the second is when companies start saying, okay, we're going to put action in place and we're going to hire a company to help us identify the gaps. Yes. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with companies where we look at the Black Lives Matter movement. We look at all of the conversation about not just race within society, but race, especially in the workplace. I mean, I have peers who once upon a time had never heard of code switching, even though I would do it all the time. And for those of you who aren't familiar, code switching is basically when you bring a different version of yourself to work, which is something people of color really do regularly. So when I worked in organizations that were predominantly white, I knew that I couldn't bring certain and aspects of who I was or my culture, because whenever I would interject those things that would be countercultural for the room that mm. I was in, but very cultural to me because of the environment I was raised in, I would I could see that it wasn't always received well. So I think now we're starting to see organizations starting to say, to your point, we need to start fixing these problems because mm -hmm. these problems are human problems. And that's the role of human resources is to solve mm -hmm. human problems. So yeah. now we need to start using it for the intended purposes besides just trying to avoid, you know, getting lawsuits and things like that, which of course, those are really important. And we, we mm -hmm. emphasize that we're trying to prevent any 
unequal pay claims being filed against our clients, but we really just need to make sure that we're capitalizing on all of the resources that we have and really making sure that everyone gets that support that they deserve. That is incredible. I, I, I love what your company does and the way that you're supporting these organizations and opening these conversations and putting things into action. Now, tell us a little bit about the Paycheck Act. Yes, the Paycheck for oh gosh. <laughs> so the Paycheck Fairness Act, uh, I it still hasn't been passed, which is so mm-hmm. frustrating because it was introduced in 1997, if I'm not mistaken. And really what the Paycheck Fairness Act is supposed to do is to help amend the Equal Pay Act of 1963. And so the Equal Pay Act, what it essentially does, or now in Massachusetts, every state's a little bit different, but in Massachusetts, for example, you cannot ask for an employee's history, salary history. And as a recruiter, I actually, I was a recruiter when this got passed and amended. And so it was difficult for me to be able to gauge what were they making before and what should they be mm-hmm. making now in this role that I'm considering them for? So within the staffing industry, it's it probably isn't everyone's favorite rule, but the Paycheck Fairness mm-hmm. Act is meant to close all of those loopholes that exist within organizations or within just the way that compensation is, is handled in this country to ensure that organizations are being held accountable. So that would re- that would actually require turning in your compensation and showing the government that you don't have any wage gaps, actually showing them, Mm -hmm. giving them historical data so they can be able to say, are we getting better at this or are we getting worse at this? A lot of people don't even know that in the past 10 years, the wage gap has shifted 0.53. Like that, that's all. And think of all of the things that have happened since then. In 10 years, all Instagram, (laughs) one of them, right? We have all of these things that are happening, are being innovated, are being introduced, yet we won't even introduce our past legislature to be able to ensure that we're holding all organizations accountable, which is super important. Cases like Google, Google recently actually just had to actually settle a lawsuit where they had to pay out $1.35 million, if I'm not mistaken. And that was to 1,500 individuals that were women because they were actually being discriminated against and were being paid unequitably. Mm. Amazon recently has been in the news talking about how they haven't been paying their employees equitably. There's no hazard pay. There's all of these different things. And I don't call these organizations out to necessarily chastise them or take them down, but to really raise awareness to the fact that there is gaps within our compensation structures as a country. And the Paycheck Fairness Act is so important because it helps close those gaps and it allows people like myself who really care about fixing the issue to be able to fix the issue in a way that can be sustainable. And that's what we need. We don't need, you don't need a compensation firm to come in and solve your issues this one time. That's something that needs to be done regularly because it happens, promotions happen, People Mm -hmm. leave the company, people get fired from the company. There's so many different things that contribute to what is it that an individual gets paid. And so those are things that we can't say, oh, only 10 people are going to have a a career change or employment change status. There's going to probably be more. So we need to make Mm -hmm. sure that we're being consistent and making sustainable solutions available to everybody. Yes. So tell us what, so you know, for those people that are in HR, right. And that are listening right now, they can immediately put things into action and they can reach out to your group. What about the people that aren't in an HR role? How can they 
create awareness and make an impact so that we can really get this movement going beyond the 0.53 within the past 10 years. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, guys, let's move. Let's rally the troops. <laughs> well, one thing people can do is if they want to champion the Paycheck Fairness Act, I think that that's great. I Most people, I think, don't even know that the Paycheck Fairness Act has been introduced and has been shut down for the past, what, 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. So one thing they can do is they can contact their state legislators and start and start that dialogue around. I want you to champion this. I want this to be a main focus because e- the Paycheck Fairness Act isn't really a focus as much as people are focusing on like a $15 minimum wage, for example, because they feel mm-hmm. like that can be something that's a little bit more immediate. Um, but if you were to go and actually contact your legislator, that's the first thing that you can do. The second thing that you can do is I mean, this is kind of scandalous to say, but employers can't take any action against you in certain states if you have discussions pertaining to equal pay. So for example, if you are a male within a specific position and you have a female colleague who has the same position, there's probably a high chance that you get paid more than her. And we can probably also bet that she does as much work or maybe just a little bit more work because that tends to be the trend with women within the workspace. Mm-hmm. So you can advocate for your peers and making sure that you're championing for them to get what it is that they also deserve. No one can take away what you're getting, but they can always contribute to what someone else is getting. And I think if we look at it more as a collective issue as opposed to an individual issue, then we'll be able to make greater segue in being able to achieve that equal pay because this country is very individualistic. That's literally what Mm -hmm. we talk about in my classes all the time. It's like America is a very individualistic country. But the good news about it is, is now that we know we can change it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what we're starting to see people lean more towards is this may not be my problem, but this is our problem now, because just Mm -hmm. the fact that you're not getting your fair cut of the pie means that I need to do my effort and exercise my privilege to be able to help you be able to get that slice. Mm -hmm. And that starts by opening up dialogue and questions and communication and Mm-hmm. talking about it. Absolutely. You can even go up to your managers, for example. It's very simple. You can go to your managers and say, I would really like to understand why is it that I'm at this compensation? And I just want to understand where my my capacity is within this organization. Mm. And you can ask them for a salary range. And using that salary range, you can see where you're at, what's the minimum, what's the maximum. And then you can start that dialogue with your managers and saying, what do I need to do to get to that higher compensation bracket? And if the Mm -hmm. answer is there's really nothing you can do because this position is just a standing position and Mm -hmm. to get that higher compensation, you would just have to move into another role that has more responsibilities, then at least you're fostering that conversation and you're able to say, okay, what are the steps I need to achieve in order to get to where I want to be? Because everyone, no one's trying to shy away from the work. We understand the Mm -hmm. more money you make, the more work you're going to have to do. Or maybe not, because actually there's (laughs) people who are like, no, the higher up you get, the more decisions you have to make, but the less work you have to do. Uh, (laughs) Like however it works out. But either way, you can start that dialogue with your managers. And then also that helps them to keep it at the forefront of their mind that you're paying attention. Because a lot of the times managers don't even know if people are paying attention and it's always Mm -hmm. important to ask questions to show them that you are oh powerful very very powerful so and here's an interesting thing 
So when, when people are going for positions, only 70% of job seekers ask for negotiate their salary. I mean, sorry, only 70% of hiring managers expect that candidates are going to negotiate the salary, their salary. However, very seldom do people negotiate their offer letter. What advice would you give to job seekers? I mean, how do they know whether what they're asking for or what their offer letter is, is fair market value for their experience? There is no easy way to answer that (laughs) because right now, I don't think that there's this extremely reliable source that I could Mm. actually recommend to people because the sources that we have right now are these online, I'll leave them nameless because again, I don't want to chastise any organizations, Mm -hmm. but uh, Right now, the sources that we have are still based off of consumers and they're still based off of contributions from audiences. And that's not always going to be correct. I can make a profile and put incorrect information just because I want access to the resources on this website. I could also inflate the costs or inflate how much it is that I'm making just mm. because I want to I want to do that. Or I could also say I'm making less because I want to you know, convince people not to pursue this line of business. There's just so many different things that can contribute to the information you can find online. My biggest thing that I could recommend is looking for organizations that do have their salary ranges already posted on their job postings. And when you do that and you start collecting that information, it will allow you to eventually say, okay, this is the job that I want. These are the industry. This is the industry I want to be in from the company that I was able to find a salary range for. These are the ranges. Now, what looks like the most consistent range that I'm seeing? And that will give Mm -hmm. you a great determining factor for you to get the most accurate representation. You'll want to work with individuals who either have a compensation background like myself, or you're going to want to work with someone who maybe does work in negotiating salaries and has that historical data because they've been doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, for you to be able, my biggest advice to individuals looking at their offer letter and looking at their compensation is to have an idea of what the number is before you even get to that point. So for you can go through this entire process, but you need to know that your number when you start this process is X. So let's say Mm -hmm. your number is, I won't go. One of my mentors actually told me a story about how he requested 200K, was very upfront about it and said, I will not take this position if it is not 200K. Went through the entire interview process. Everybody loved him. And then he got to the end where it was the offer letter part and the compensation negotiation part. And he's from HR. So obviously he was going to negotiate. But he said, I no less than 200. And they tried to lowball him and saying, well, we can't Ugh. afford that. We can't afford that. And at the end, he ended up getting the offer that he wanted because he would not budge. And so the really important thing for people to understand is 83% of the time when you negotiate your salary or when you negotiate your offer letter, you're going to get it. 83, mm-hmm. not 50, 50, not 40, 60, not 30, 70. of the time. And so really the obstacle is not the negotiation. The obstacle is yourself Mm -hmm. because now you have to confront yourself and you have to say, am I willing to actually put a value on myself? Because people tend to say, well, that's a lot of money for not a lot of time. Well, you're, we're not paying people for their time. We're paying people for their value. Mm -hmm. So if you know that this is your value for you to feel comfortable, for you to be confident, for you to know you can keep the roof over your head, food on the table, kids fed, or your lifestyle, whatever it is that's important to you, if you know what that number is and stick to that number. And if they, if it's a, if it's like a small business 
or maybe a medium-sized business, sure, maybe you won't have as much leeway because they have limited capital. But when we're looking at these really large organizations that are hitting over 300 employees, they bring in revenues of millions of billions of dollars, there is always some level of wiggle room. It just depends mm-hmm. on how well you're pre- you're positioning yourself and your value proposition throughout that entire interview process. Because if they know that they need you, they'll pay you. They will. Trust me. Mm-hmm. I've gotten mm-hmm. paid because people are like, we know we need you. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I know you need me. You know you need me. Now we're in agreement and I'm excited about this opportunity. So let's talk about how is it that I can remain excited about this opportunity and also still be able to remain enthusiastic about my own personal life. So you brought up a really good point about negotiating and I, and having that conversation in the interview, because what I oftentimes see is first, people are scared to ask the salary range, the compensation range in the first interview. And I believe that should always happen in the first interview. A couple of reasons. You could be going for a position that's far less and, they, and they'll be able to tell you, we can't extend you know, that range. Why waste anybody's time? Don't go through four interviews, six interviews, and then come to find out you find out what the salary is after you've gone through that entire process. It's a very emotional, physical, time-consuming journey to go through the interview process. So it's so important to have that conversation right out of the gates, right in the beginning. And when you get to that offer letter, like you just said, 83% of the time, you're going to receive the negotiated amount when you ask for it. And it's so important that you have that mindset of knowing I'm worth what I'm asking for mm-hmm. based off of the value I bring, the experience that I have, the impact that I can make. I'm worth the amount. And the more you believe in yourself, the more the company, the individuals hiring um, are going to believe in you as well. Exactly. How can you expect them to believe it if you don't? it's like everything. How could you sell me? If you think that this is, if you don't think this is the greatest car in the whole wide world and you're trying to sell me this car, you're not going to get the sale because you Mm -hmm. think this car is subpar at best. And now I believe this car is subpar at best. And now I don't want this car. I would just want to get a car that someone else really, really believes in and is really excited about. And Mm -hmm. that's sales 101. I mean, obviously you have a background in sales as do I, but whenever I would go, for example, to my managers to try to negotiate what is it that they're going to be paying candidates, I would have to go there with the mindset of, I believe in this candidate so strongly, so firmly. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what value they have to offer. And now I'm going to craft my value proposition off of for this person based off of all the qualities that they can contribute and knowing that I'm not going to back down if I really believe in this candidate and I really want them to get this job. And so it's just a matter of, again, really understanding what your value is, what your worth is, and sticking to it. Because I think the easiest thing you can do in those types of situations is to fold. It's Mm. easy for you to fold. Now, if it's a great opportunity, it's your foot into the inside the door, then sure, take whatever it is that you might feel like is best. But again, it's under understanding what do you want out of this? Because if you don't even know what you want out of it, then we have bigger conversations we need to talk about because you should Mm -hmm. never just go somewhere and not know what you want out of that experience. If it's not going to be the paycheck, it has to be something. And I want to add to this, knowing your worth and knowing your value. So I worked for an organization, it was a fortune 500 company. And what would happen is if we hired somebody externally 
there was this range that we had. So the first thing I would do is I would always try to hire people in at the higher range because then that always increased my overall range of my team. So that was one thing. And what I found is when we hired, when we promoted people internally from like an inside sales position to an outside sales position, they were offered a significantly lower salary because they weren't viewed as valuable because they were an inside sales representative going to outside. However, if we hired somebody outside, they would get more. That never made sense to me. I, that shows that we don't value so our employees. Yes, it happens so much. Like I vividly remember working for a tech company and I was going through the process. It was in the midst of the pandemic. It was like an entry-level role. And I really was like, I just need money at this point because mm -hmm. I got laid off. I need to start making money. And I remember that I went through the interview process and they said, your skill sets are more for a management role. And I agreed. So I went through that interview process. And then I never got feedback on why is it that I didn't get the management job, but I ended up in the original position that I interviewed for. And it was so funny because I realized that I would get paid less and, and therefore because they have a very lean, cheap mentality when it comes to certain things, like they like to keep the cost as low as possible. So mm -hmm. I realized that once I had gotten in, everyone was already looking to promote me into a management, the management position that they turned me down for. And so I, it might be like a conspiracy theory, but I, I really did realize I was like, wow, if I was hired externally, I had that bargaining power. I was able to shoot for that higher number and they were able to say, sure, we can meet that. But if I got promoted from the position that I actually was hired into, I was going to be making 10, 15, 20 K less. And, uh, and, and that's after having the value of already understanding the business line, understanding how things work, understanding who it has, what level of influence and power and authority. So mm -hmm. yes, we don't really, unfortunately, value our internal employees as much. And I think right now what we're starting to see is that organizations are building these career pathway programs. They're building mm -hmm. these affiliation organizations within their companies. And they're doing these things to try to actually develop their employees further and be able to identify who are those high potential employees and where do we get them to go? Like, where do we ship them mm -hmm. through? And then who's going to be their successor? And if we can't find any successors, then who do we need to develop to see if they have that potential to rise to the occasion while well, we need them to? Oh, you know what? And actually that company that I work for, I don't know how this happened, who got the conversations going. That's exactly what they did. Yep. They, created, <laughs> they created a career development plan and they identified like, where do you want to go within the organization? Let's help build a career plan for you. And they actually um, closed the gap on what that salary was when they were promoting within. So they took the actions. It just took a few years to get there. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they, they, you know, rectified it and they're taking steps in the progress. So I, I want to celebrate that. And it was obviously a good experience to see and learn from. So I'm happy that they, they take that action and that more companies are investing in the internal resources that they can do to develop their employees. Yes. I, and, and I think that's what organizations need to continue to do. They need to show that they maybe haven't always gotten it right, but they're willing to do it now. Mm -hmm. And that's really my message with Equal Pay Group even. With Equal Pay Group, very much the focus is there's no shame in the wage gap existing at your organizations. I mean, mm -hmm. 
it's it's kind of like how now people are having an awakening to privilege and to racism and things like that. Individuals like myself, we've lived in this reality for quite a while. However, mm-hmm. now people are being awakened to that reality. And so now people are saying, wow, I had no idea. But now that I know, I'm going to do better. And that's mm-hmm. the mentality we all need to have. We all need to be focusing on, okay, I need to stop shaming myself for doing what was exactly expected of me because organizations were originally created to make money. Like every company in this country is its primary focus is how do I increase my revenue? And that's fine. But now that you know better, you can do better and join mm-hmm. us in doing that better. And that starts with hiring organizations like you because you get to open up the opportunity to have the conversation. And then second to that is what I do. What I do is I partner with organizations to help develop their employees, to help help build their career plans and teach um, individuals within the organization to inc- you know, improve their sales training, include improve their developing of their brand, um, career planning overall. Like if there's certain positions they want to step into, I get to help them build their career plan. And it's so amazing to be a part of. I can only imagine because that was honestly, <laughs> as a life coach, that's my favorite thing is being able to mm-hmm. figure out what is it that you want? What do you mm-hmm. want? what have you done to try to get there? Mm-hmm. It's like, I saw on Instagram the other day, it was uh, what does trying look like? Because mm. a lot of us, we get stuck in that trying phase. It's like, okay, so this is what trying looks like. What does doing look like? Because it's important oh. for you to know what kind of trying and what doing looks like. So I love that part about being a life coach as well, because it gives me that opportunity to be able to identify where are you now? Where do you want to be? How did you get to this point? Because a lot of the times we'll, we'll see, we'll say all of a sudden, I don't know what it is, but I don't feel like myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you don't allow yourself to figure out what it is that got you to that point, and you just focus on what well, I just need to get out. Well, okay, it's great if you get out, but if you can't, identify what got you here in the first place or it's like it's madness you you're gonna Mm -hmm. end up right back where you started and you're gonna be really upset that you didn't end up making as much segue as you wanted so I love that aspect and I love that you have you you understand exactly what it feels like because it's Mm -hmm. so revolutionary when you see the lights go on is what I say when you see the Mm -hmm. lights go on and you're like ah they get it yes finally Oh, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps, even just us talking about it, because it's 100% true. When you get to see your clients go through this, this aha moment, it is so powerful. So Mm -hmm. powerful. Absolutely. Tell us, what are three things that you really want our audience to just say, okay, this is the action that I can take. This is what my doing can do. What are three things that you want us to walk away from our conversation today? Well, one of my big things that I love teaching people about is it's about progress, not perfection. I have a conversation lined up with an organization overseas, and that entire conversation is just focusing on progress, not perfection, because perfectionism in the workplace is really damning. It, it's mm. perfectionism in the workplace looks like wanting to ask a question, but not asking it because you're afraid that your colleagues are going to judge you because you didn't know, even though they, someone else probably also doesn't know, 
but mm-hmm. you're allowing your perfectionist and your idea to appear like you have it all figured out and you know everything to really stand in that way. So mm-hmm. get out of your own way. It's so unproductive to want to have an appearance. Like I, I say this all the time, why try to maintain an appearance when that appearance is eventually, that facade is eventually going to fade away and you're going to be, see, we're going to start seeing who was swimming naked. Like that's mm-hmm. really, like you are swimming naked when you don't make any progress. So progress, not perfection is my biggest thing. My second thing is equality is good business. Mm-hmm. It just, we have seen so many organizations. Now, I don't want to mislead people in saying, if you hire a bunch of women, if you hire a bunch of people of color, you're going to start making a bunch of money. Because some, some people actually say that, and there's not an actual if this, then that relationship there. But we do see that when organizations diversify their executive teams in gender and in race, that they do start to see, I believe like McKinsey study said that they see a 48% increase in their revenue. And so understanding that when you do more to allow the people in the room to look different from you, then you're going to get further along. There's also mm-hmm. this study about Kathy Phillips, Dr. Kathy Phillips. She's amazing. She was a professor at Columbia and unfortunately she passed away. And I literally now just study her art so much because I think she's so phenomenal. But one of the studies that she actually did was focusing on why is it that organizations actually do end up performing better when there are more diverse teams. And it's because just the mere fact of being in the presence of other people who don't look like you in your brain makes you think, I cannot assume that they're gonna think the exact same thing as me. Therefore, I need to start thinking differently. And when people start thinking differently, they think more out of the box, they think bigger picture, they find more creative solutions to problems and they end up performing a lot better. So really in changing what the room looks like, you can change everything else about your company. So that's why I say equality is good business. And then my third thing that I would probably have to say, even though I feel like there's so many things that I I just have to say all the time, is to really allow yourself to step outside of yourself and to Mm -hmm. just understand life from a different perspective of other people. Now, why do I say that? In one of my courses, we were talking about privilege and we were talking about how privilege is it, oh, you must have no problems because you are are the, the hierarchy of society according to this like caste system that we have. Privilege just means the absence of certain obstacles. So I myself Mm. have my own privilege. I have the privilege of being able to reach the top shelf in a grocery store, whereas someone who's in a wheelchair who may not be able to reach something on the top shelf. I have the privilege of being able to have gotten a private education, whether or not I thought that was the best education is irrelevant because I don't necessarily think it was the best. (laughs) (laughs) I think any educate, I really believe that life is the real, is the real school here that we all need to be focusing on, but I digress. Um, but really just allowing ourselves to step outside of ourselves. And, and that's what I really hope to do with Eco Pay Group and continue to do as a life coach as well. Because when I work with my clients with Eco Pay Group, it's always to say, look, we're here for a reason. And we all know that that reason is not going to be our favorite reason. Mm-hmm. But now that we're here, let's take ourselves outside of the situation. Let's not allow ourselves to feel attacked. Let's not allow ourselves to let our biases slip in. Let's not allow ourselves to make any conclusions because my partner, he he made this comment one time. I thought it was so interesting. He said, you know, usually when I talk about the wage gap um, in organizations, 
it, it typically is the female individuals who are overseeing the HR departments that say, oh, no, we don't have a wage gap here. Yeah, interesting, right? It's like the women are the ones that are saying, that is we don't so have a wage gap here. Yeah, like we don't have a wage gap here because we all feel like we're all doing our part. We all feel like I'm on it. I'm on top of it. But when we take ourselves outside of it, right, and put what our personal beliefs of what we intended to achieve outside of it, then we can really see that there still is an issue. And so mm -hmm. I wonder how many times organizations and individuals both don't take themselves outside of it and there's an issue and the issue never even gets found or resolved because we would rather protect ourselves. And so those are the things I think we really need to be focusing on. Like, so for me, it's not necessarily, here's what you can do. Like with salary negotiations, always negotiate because 83% of the time you're gonna get it. With organizations and the wage gap, do a pay equity analysis annually, protect yourselves, protect your organization, protect your employees, and really show them that you're committed to those DEI measures and initiatives that you're introducing into the workplace. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, show people because right now, especially in this country, we're not just listening to what people are doing, we're watching what you're doing. You can't go outside and have an attitude and start mm -hmm. a whole fight on the sidewalk without someone whipping out a cell phone saying, and here's a Karen. Like this, everyone is watching now. We are more aware than we ever have been. So don't talk the talk, walk the walk, take yourselves outside of it. Look at the world from someone else's perspective because when you start putting yourself in the shoes of other individuals, you will be amazed to see how how many parts of life that you never even knew existed because they weren't mm -hmm. a part of your reality. But now that you've been exposed to it, you can now help either make that a part of your reality if it was good or fix it. So that way it doesn't have to be the part of someone else's reality. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You have such a powerful message. I mean, most of the time my podcasts are 30 minutes, but you were, it, it, there's no stopping. I mean, I could talk to you for hours because you just have such, um, you have such a strong background and passion and you're knowledgeable and you make impact. And I I'm so grateful that you joined us today. Thank you so much. Oh, and one more thing, where can my audience find you? Yes. So they can find me on social media. My name is Gabby Tavares, G-A-B-B-Y-T-A-V-E-R-A-S. And you can also find me on LinkedIn under Gabriella Tavares. And if you're looking to use utilize Equal Pay Group, which I hope anyone who's listening who works in HR that wants to learn more, please do. Uh, but you can find us at equalpaygroup.com. And of course, my podcast, Dear HR Podcast, is all on Instagram and it's on every streaming platform you can think of. And that's D-E-A. R H R and then podcast. So I hope that I can see some of your guests and I hope I can have you on my show and we can work yes. together to heal people and heal companies. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much. And if you've listened today and you found that this was just such a powerful message that I believed in as well, then I encourage you to uh, write a comment to rate and review this podcast and share this podcast with others because it's such a powerful message. And I'm so grateful for you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Grit podcast with Danielle Cobo. If you found today's episode resonating and inspiring, kindly take a moment to craft a review. Your review holds the potential for Apple and Spotify to share the Unstoppable Grit podcast with others. Furthermore, 
consider extending the ripple effect by sharing this episode with those around you, family, friends, colleagues, and anyone who could benefit from the insights and stories shared here. Also, be sure to visit daniellecobo.com for more resources on cultivating resilience and unleashing your inner grit. We'll be back soon with another empowering episode. Until then, be unstoppable.